Welcome to America's Retirement Headquarters, home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates. Securities offered through Peak Brokerage Services, LLC. Advisory services offered through the Retirement Guys Formula. Registered Investment Advisor, America's Retirement Headquarters, America's Medicare Associates, and the Retirement Guys Formula are separate and independent entities from Peak Brokerage Services, LLC. Thank you so much for joining us today and welcome you into America's Retirement Headquarters, home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates with Nolan Baker and Chaz Price. And myself, my name is Chris Swan. 419-794-3030 is the phone number. Once again, that's 419-794-3030 online, ARHQ.com. Today on the show, are bonds making a comeback? Should you buy long-term care insurance if you're wealthy? And whether you should factor politics into your financial planning with the big election less than a year away. But first, let me check in with the guys uh, Nolan Chaz, glad to be with you as always. How are we doing today? Doing good as we get in the final month of the year. So, you know, here it is December and, you know, before long, we'll be into the new year. Also, uh, some other exciting news. If you look at our YouTube channel, so we've been doing, you know, our show not only here on WSPD Radio, been on the radio here locally for a little over 20 years. It was just a few years ago uh, we launched our YouTube channel. So if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, just go over to YouTube and type in America's Retirement Headquarters. Uh, but uh, last month, we reached an incredible milestone with uh, 50,000 views so far mm. on our YouTube channel. Uh, so the, the numbers are going, and you know we break up our topics each week into uh, manageable tidbits of information. So if you want to know about you know today's show, you want to recap, or you want to learn about how to invest when inflation's high, or get our thoughts on the outlook of the market, again, just go over to YouTube, type in America's Retirement Headquarters, uh, smash that uh, subscribe button, and we'll keep you in the loop. Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, great news. Hey, Chris, yeah, we had a, a great uh, holiday, Thanksgiving Um Got my Christmas lights up mm-hmm. uh, successfully, luckily, and I'm pretty sure this is why you know married guys are live longer because you know Elena helped save save me from a pretty <laughs> precarious situation. I'm on my tippy toes on the rung of the ladder, which you should not be on. She's like, "Honey, I think it actually goes up one more." I was like, "Oh my god, what am I thinking?" I thought maybe I'd just shrunk or something like that, but um, <laughs> definitely thankful for her and for the family and. Uh, glad to be back on the show again. I'm glad. I'm glad that you uh, made it through the the hanging of the lights and decorations unscathed. You know, tis the season and all that. Uh, in my house, particularly in my neighborhood, some of the lights went up right after Halloween. I disagree with that. You know, we say all the time it's never too early to start planning for retirement. Christmas lights now is officially a time, but but it's a whole other discussion. But we're here to talk about retirement, not really uh, the holiday season. But hope you all are enjoying it out there. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in with this investment giants Raymond James and Charles Schwab. They're reporting a decrease in revenues due to people moving uh, to higher yielding uh, money market accounts and CDs. If given the choice of high returns with high risk or reasonable returns with less risk, people are choosing the low risk route. So can being risk adverse hold you back from having the growth that you might need in retirement? Yeah, Chris, I'm going to tackle this one to start off. That That's a really good topic. And yeah, you're right. According to Moody's, uh, Schwab suffered an 8% drop in revenues second quarter um, and a 21% drop in profitability. So that's a pretty big number. Also, Raymond James was down 1% in revenues and 13% in earnings. And I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that these brokerages own banks. So that big increase in interest rates that we saw um, through you know the first part of the year, uh, we saw almost a 500%, uh, 500 point increase in rates. And then we saw another one, a 75% increase 
in uh, at the end of the third quarter, at the end of the second quarter in July. So I think that's definitely something to think about. Now, for savers, though, um, that does signal a, a good thing. I think for savers, it's actually an increase in in your uh, you get a pay raise essentially when interest rates go up. And so, but I, I do think it's important not to be seduced into being too conservative and, and not to put too much of your money into a fixed rate like that. Because um, for one thing, the point I want to make is these high interest rates might be transitory. You know, uh, what goes up must come down. We've always heard of that adage. And so mm-hmm. um, interest rates generally do fluctuate in, you know, cycles. And so you don't want to be taking too short of a, a, of a, a trip with your interest rates. I sometimes compare it to like going, um, uh, you know, going from here to Cleveland and Toledo, that's about a a two hour, two and a half hour drive. You don't want to take a bicycle doing that. It's a (laughs) long-term trip. So you want to have a long-term vehicle. So don't, you know, think that these interest rates will stick around too long. Um, The other thing that I want to talk about real quick, and I'm going to kick it back to you, Nolan, is um, the difference between investment risk or risk tolerance, I should say, and then risk capacity. So to me, the question of whether or not you should be you know, investing real heavily in these fixed interest rates deals with how much risk an investor is willing to take versus how much risk they should be taking or what their capacity or their ability to take risk is. And so um, if you're not sure about that, if you're not sure really what the difference is between risk tolerance and risk capacity, um, give us a call here and we can talk to you about it a little bit. But essentially your risk tolerance is just that it's how much risk are you willing to take and maybe you're a more aggressive investor by nature maybe you're more conservative but the capacity nolan for risk to me means do you have enough money saved to be able to to be in a conservative position do you do you have the capacity to be um you know conservative and and or do you need to take the risk because there's only we've talked about on the show there's only two things that work it's either you or your money and if you stop working and your money's stopping working well you know where does that leave you long term so again you know here's what Chaz talked about it is knowing what your risk score is and that can help answer that question is being too risky a bad strategy for retirees so give us a call 419-794-3030 and what we can do is we can get you what your individual risk score is and talk to you a little bit about you know what your tolerance is for risk. We have a questionnaire where we actually walk you through a series of questions. It's similar to like going to an eye doctor. It's like, well, do you like this investment or would you rather have this one, this one or that one, this one or that one? And based upon the way that you answer those questions, it talks about what your tolerance is you know, for your comfort of level of risk. And it's important to know that now because it's been our experience that it's somebody who their risk profile doesn't match up with who their tolerance is for risk that ultimately ends up making a change after something bad happens. And ultimately what that'll result in is you selling your investments at what could be a loss, locking in a loss, you know, moving to something that's perceived to be less risky, and then missing out on the recovery of what's happening. And the second one is the exact area that you're talking about, which is the capacity of risk. So knowing based upon how to make sure that your money has the best potential to last for the rest of your lifetime, knowing what your risk number needs to be. And there's also 
a couple of the things that we can do when we get you your risk score is we can run it through the uh, retirement risk-alized risk calculator. And what we can do is we can show, you know, if you took 20% less risk, would that increase or decrease the probability of success for you achieving your goals? And because when you get to the capacity, one of the questions that you want to ask yourself is, you know, if you doubled your money and, you know, what would you do differently that you're not doing today versus if your money was cut in half, you know, what would that be as an impact on your retirement? And that riskalyzed risk calculator and running that risk capacity uh, would show you what the results are. You know, maybe you've got to the point where you've saved and you build up a, a great nest egg. You know, it's just like football. If you're way ahead in a football game, sometimes it's, you know, you send the third and fourth string in. Mm-hmm. Play not to lose. Yeah, you play defense. So maybe that's the time to run defense. But, you know, if you're behind the game, mm-hmm. you need to still keep going for the end zone. And so, you know, you need to know that information. If you haven't had that retirement risk alized calculator run for you, that could help uh, answer the question. I'll also give you a couple other tips. Is Number one, plan for the long term. You know, your retirement could last decades. So, you know, what's happening today right now in in the environment, the economy, the interest rate world, you know, think about things and make decisions not based upon today, but make decisions for the long term. When you are looking at long term and you're, you know, ultra conservative, you also have to think about the impact that things like high inflation could have on your portfolio and eroding the purchasing power that you could have in the future. In addition to that, the fact that the government continues to spend out of control and we have the likelihood of higher taxes in the future, uh, those areas could be a big impact on you. Number two, my second number two tip for you this week is know when you're going to need the money. Uh, you know, short term, you might feel risk adverse. We're going to talk a lot about politics, the election this year, market results. But the reality is, is that's just one more event and an endless amount of events that are already happening. You know, so short term, it's easy to get caught up into wars and geopolitical environments and elections. But long term, you know, you got to think that stocks still have a great potential. And so you want to avoid that short term noise. So again, one thing to do is give us a call 419-794-3030. Ask to get your risk score. Uh, we'll run what those numbers are for you. And we'll give you a number, actually a physical number that you can look at that measures your portfolio from zero to 100. Then we'll spend a little bit of time uh, talking with you about your tolerance for risk and also the capacity of the risk in your portfolio. So happy to help out as a, a listener of the show. In a way that, you know, those those beds where you have your sleep score to figure out what's going to be most comfortable for you. And it's going to vary from person to person, but you want to find out exactly what it is so that you can best suit the the plan or, you know, uh, the mattress or what have you to, to your needs. Finding out your risk score is as simple as picking up the phone and, and giving a call and scheduling a time to speak with the team at America's Retirement Headquarters and being able to to navigate uh, retirement going forward from there. 419-794-3030 is the phone number. You can also go online to the website as well, arhq.com. It seems like it is a uh, never-ending cycle, honestly, but the 2024 election is upon us, less than a year away. And a new survey from Nationwide found that 45% of investors believe the results of the U.S. presidential and congressional elections are going to have a bigger influence on retirement plans and portfolios than the market itself. So how often do you, do you find your clients factoring politics into their investment decisions? And what is your advice when it comes to that? Well, when we're looking at how we should factor politics into an investment plan, I would say, you know, one thing 
Uh, Mom always taught me was never talk politics at the holidays. <laughs> Not at the dinner table. Good thing is, is you're listening to our radio show, so we're going to give you that advice today and talk to you about you know what you should do and how to position your portfolio. You know, with the upcoming election and what's happening right now, the, the first observation that I would have if if I took a look back, say over the last roughly year. Chaz, what I would say is that there's people that I'm running into that I fall, I would say, fall into a category that I would refer to as investment paralysis. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's either that or people that are making major investment changes because of their view on the politics. And so, again, it's not a debate whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or which side you lean towards. The reality is, is investment paralysis and or making major financial changes to your portfolio based upon how you feel the election results are going to happen over the next year can be a costly mistake. In fact, I met with one gentleman. He had reached out to us after hearing us uh, at one of our public speaking events, and we'll call him Tom. So Tom came into the office, and it was October of last year. So you, again, way ahead of the election time. But, you know, he came in based upon what he was thinking the election results were going to look like. Uh, and had moved completely out of the market. He moved his money over into uh, traditional FDIC-insured CDs. Now, we flash forward to today in 2023, at the end of the year, CD rates are significantly higher than what they were a little over a year ago. Uh, so one, he got out of the market when the market was going down last year. And two, is he locked in terrible interest rates with interest rates are significantly higher today. So now he's stuck in a tough situation. The market has rallied in 2023. He really missed out on all that rally in the market. And now if he decides to kind of jump back into the market because it's rallying, you know, he could get a double whammy if the market moves down. Uh, other people that I've met with, you know, talk about, you know, what their political view and outlook is about the election. So if we look at it and we go back and we look at the election year results and we look at you know, what did the S&P 500 index do during election years? The S&P has been here a long time. So it's well over 20 cycles that we've had four-year elections in the S&P. And about 80% of the time, the S&P 500 index posted positive results in an election year. So you can't directly invest into the S&P 500 index, but what it would show is that Equities have a history of, you know, performing well. And, and if we stop and we think about it, I would say it makes a lot of sense because obviously whoever is the political leader wants to talk about how great things are and whoever is the person that's running to come into the office wants to talk about how great things are going to be. But if you were a listener to our show and you want to say, Nolan, okay, what do I do about this? I feel like I'm in this situation of investment paralysis. I'm on the verge of making a change to my investment portfolio. You know, the first thing we should do is get together. Let's have an independent portfolio analysis. We can go through your investments and take a look at making sure that your investment plan is not only set to survive next year, but thrive next year. A couple of things that I would say here. Here's advice that I give listeners. Number one is educate yourself. So by listening to the show, uh, again, I'm doing the show, so I'm somewhat biased, but I'd say great job. You're getting some knowledge and beginning to take steps to understand, to help contribute uh, to making smart financial decisions to get you out of that paralysis mode and knowing what the basics are, knowing what the pros and cons of investing are. Number two is you want to set some clear financial goals. You know, those goals talk about what your income needs are going to be next year. Uh, you want to have short-term and long-term goals. You know, how long do you want your money to last? 
What are you doing to protect your retirement savings from things like a health care? Uh, do you have plans to downsize in the future and tap some of the equity in your home? Uh, as we talked about in previous shows, understanding what your risk tolerance is, knowing what your internal gut says that you can tolerate if and when the market gets a little bit hectic or volatile, and or what your portfolio needs to be invested at risk-wise to increase the probability of success. Uh, it, it doesn't, number four, protect you from losses all the time, but diversification is still an investment process that involves spreading your portfolio into different asset classes, and it can be a way to reduce risk. Number five, you can start small. Uh, you know, if you come into the office and you meet with us or anybody else, we might come up with 10 or 15 different investment ideas for you, and it doesn't mean you have to do all 10 or 15. Uh, we recently met with a, a client, and what we had talked about is when we did the portfolio risk score, they came out and they had a risk score of about uh, 80. And 80 means 80 out of 100. So that means they were you know, fairly heavily weighted towards equities, which the good news is for the past 10 years, equities have been a great place to be. But as they get ready for retirement time, he said, you know, Nolan, what's my end goal? Where should I be? And I said, well, you know, based upon this, you probably need to be somewhere in that 40 to 45 risk level because you have enough financial assets and you don't need to take as much risk. And again, talking to them about where they need to be. But what we decided to do was take things in small steps. So I said, you don't need to go 80 miles an hour and slam on the brakes right now and go all the way to 40 miles an hour. Maybe it's time to take small steps and move a little bit in the right direction. And that's number six, we're seeking some professional advice. Uh, can be a great way, talking with a financial professional, getting that personalized guidance when somebody understands your situation, your unique goals. Uh, I think you know when you're having emotional challenges about the markets and the economy, that's really where a financial advisor can earn his paycheck and helping you make sound financial decisions. But you do have to accept the other fact that everything has risk associated with it. You know, there's always there's some level of risk. And, you know, when you look at politics and you're trying to decide where do I position my portfolio based upon risk, knowing that if you go all to cash, there's a risk associated with that. Just the same as if you go too much in equities, there's a risk associated with that. Mm -hmm. Number eight is stick with the plan. So once you have a plan in place and it's a well thought out plan, you understand the investment methodology, the process. And, you know, having that roadmap put together with it, you know, you want to try to stick with the plan. Uh, emotionally, short term, sometimes you feel like you're out of control because we can't control what happens in Washington. But what you can control is the decisions that you make on what to do with your investment. So sometimes, you know, making a change, you know, you feel like you're getting back in control, but making that change can be an emotional, painful decision. And especially when you have a plan, you want to stick with it. So, you know, stay informed, but, you know, avoid sometimes over analysis. We talk about paralysis, but Chaz, sometimes I also run into people that can't make a decision because they constantly just, you know, want to analyze things way too much. And it leads them to make, you know, again, a decision to make no decisions at all. So a couple of pointers there. And, you know, when you're looking at uh, how we should factor in politics in your investment plan, if you feel like that maybe you're overanalyzing things right now, if you feel like maybe 
you're stuck or if you feel like you're in a situation where maybe you know you want to make a change and you're not sure is that in your best interest or should you make that change pick up the phone give us a call 419-794-3030 uh, let's do an independent portfolio analysis. And I'm, you know, more than happy as a radio show listener to have a conversation with you to talk to you about, you know, how to get positioned to go into uh, 2024 with an election year. Because here's the truth of it. Over the course of a 20, 30 year retirement, you're going to see multiple elections. And occasionally uh, the person you want uh, to win is going to win. And occasionally the person that you don't want to win is going to win. You don't need to have that emotional decision to to dictate and, and Sometimes, you know, ultimately make the wrong decision for you. Be able to control what you can control. Put a plan in place for whatever may come down the line. Uh, have that independent portfolio analysis done. Have that second opinion done. The team at America's Retirement Headquarters are here for you to help you. 419-794-3030 is how you get started. And the website is ARHQ.com. Now, guys, you've told us that as interest rates go up, bond values, so they go down. Somewhere along the line, interest rates will start to move down. So are, are bonds coming back into favor? And how long... Do you think that'll take for that to happen? You know, I think a big takeaway from this section is our bonds making a comeback. The important thing is, is if you've listened to the show, you know, we had talked in the past on our radio show a couple of years ago about what we feel was the high risk that bonds faced, you know, as we bottomed out in the interest rate environment and it was likely that interest rates were going to rise in the future. And so if you're a listener to the show in the last year or two, and your advisor or somebody that is helping oversee your investment portfolio hasn't sat down in the last year or two and have a conversation with bonds and or if you own bonds or you're in a 401k and you have a target date fund, you know, I really think that you should get a second opinion because when we look at it and you look at the aggregate bond index and you go to a website like Morningstar, the yield right now is 4.7% as the end of November, beginning of December, and they have an average duration of six years. Now, Chaz, I know you have some comments about duration and yield, but you know, when we look at it, the, the yield is still kind of low. It's gotten better over the last year. But when you add the yield and the uh, increase or decrease in prices, year-to-date, bonds are actually only back to slightly uh, positive. In fact, if you look at the last three, five, or 10 years, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, bonds uh, using the, again, aggregate bond index, AGG, on Morningstar, have not even kept up with inflation, let alone if they're in a retirement account, you've got the other eroding uh, fact of taxes will have to be paid on them. But in general, though, when we look at that, there's going to be some form of entry point in bonds. And so I'm not saying, you know, bonds are dead forever. If I go to Yahoo Finances and I look at the AGG chart over uh, the last couple of years, you know, the, the bond index is still about 20% below its July 2022 highs. And when we look at the consumer price index, here's what's happened in the last couple of weeks, is you had the consumer price index was only 3.2 in October compared to 3.7 uh, in September. So what is happening now, uh, people are starting to say, well, you know, maybe we're starting to turn the curve on the inflation problem. You know, maybe we're getting to the point where the Fed, you know, is going to stop uh, raising interest rates. In fact, if you look at uh, the futures market, they really have priced in the fact that the Fed is most likely going to be done with raising interest rates. And so now that the, the 
debate turns into, you know, when they're going to lower interest rates. But when we were talking about this topic, Chaz, you brought up a good uh, point, and that's what's called the risk premium trade-off uh, between yields and what uh, bond funds are versus other traditional fixed accounts right now. Yeah. Well, when we talk about the risk premium, Nolan, we talk about what is it going to take or what's the extra return over and above a risk-free rate that a investor needs to get to entice them to make an investment uh, in in a bond or a stock or any other security that has risk to it. And so me personally, when I'm looking at a bond and I'm saying, okay, um, you know, I can get, let's say, 4.7% on a treasury, let's say, for instance, which is a good interest rate, um, you know, what what are my alternatives at this point? And if I'm a riskier investor and I'm looking for a risk premium, I'm looking for something to um, something over and above that risk-free rate, I'm going to look for stocks. So that's one thing. The other thing you talked about was uh, the duration of bonds. Um, the interest rates are still, you know, if, if you have a long-term bond, your interest rate in this case was, you know, 4.7 and you've got a six-year uh, duration bond, it's just going to be a lot more sensitive and then we've got the fact that the government is is still has to issue a ton of debt in the next year and a half. So there's just a lot of pressure on bonds right now. I don't think the worst is over for them yet. Um, if it were me, you know, I'm looking more towards stock than bond at this point. I don't think they're back in favor. In an environment where the the sixty forty portfolio has really come under scrutiny, and not necessarily because of the the stock side of it, uh, bonds have certainly. Um, come into question. And, and it's not to say that you should not have them in your plan at all, but maybe looking at that balance differently, maybe looking at other ways to invest that 40% if that is your mix. The team at America's Retirement Headquarters, they can run the numbers for you and figure out how to, how to figure out what's going to work best for your risk tolerance. Again, at the end of the day, uh, that's what matters the most is, is your comfort level. And then, uh, you know, create a plan around there. You need to take the first step and give them a call though. 419-794-3030. So you can start putting that plan together. 419-794-3030. Or go into the website as well, arhq.com. Now, we have heard a lot of differences of opinion lately when it comes to the Fed's handling of interest rates. Here is another one. Investment strategist Donald Luskin recently told Fox Business that rate hikes are making, uh, he says they're making the economy stronger. It appears from all the evidence, like the more the Fed tightens, the faster the economy grows. I know that's insane, but that is what the evidence shows. I know it defies intuition, but I think we need to educate our intuition in the light of the data. I think one of the things that we may discover here is that we went through about 15 years after the great financial crisis of zero interest rates and low inflation and jobless recoveries and all that stuff. It could be that we've broken out of that and we're back into an era of productivity-led growth, the likes of which we've just forgotten about because we were in secular stagnation for 15 years. Let's talk about what Donald said there. Have higher rates actually given people uh, that are ready for retirement a new opportunity? I think to me, it depends on what side of the spectrum are you on, you know? So if I think about uh, a lot of our younger listeners or even my son, you know, he's getting ready to finish up with college and, you know, he just recently got his first vehicle and then he's at some point probably going to buy a home in the next five to 10 years, you know, higher interest rates have a real big negative impact on those people who have debt. Uh, so hopefully maybe causes him to slow down a little bit, make a little bit more of a, a smarter decision of whether, you know, I need that home or that big a home or I need that car right now. On the flip end of the scale, you know, if we think about our higher interest rates, giving people a new retirement opportunity, I'd say absolutely 
You know, again, if we talk about our listenership and we we think about things over the last couple of years, Chaz, I know we've tried to give our listeners a lot of great advice about, uh, one, the risk that we saw in the interest rate environment. And we talked about, you know, repositioning their portfolio, maybe away from some bond funds into other fixed income investments. And, you know, with the limited choices, if you go back a couple of years ago, what it oftentimes did is it led to, you know, in, investors getting more involved into equities. And, you know, we've now in 2023 had a pretty strong rally in equities. And what we've also had is we've had a pretty strong rally in interest rates. So in my opinion, with the higher interest rates, I think it does give retirees another opportunity. And that's an opportunity to, to maybe rebalance their portfolio here at the year end or at the beginning of the year to get their portfolio to be able to take advantage of what some of these fixed rates are because they're the highest that I've seen in my kid's lifetime. It's a great opportunity for somebody who wants to add some stability into a portfolio. So whether it's you're reducing your equity exposure or you're reducing your investments that are interest rate sensitive like bonds and adding in more fixed income investments, that could be a traditional FDIC insured CD. It could be a high interest money market fund. It could be a fixed annuity for a set period of time. Uh, I think those can be areas where you know these higher interests can give people a little bit more stability it adds a ton into their portfolio. It's also an area that I would say, based upon what has recently come out with the uh, core inflation numbers, uh, also what I'm beginning to see coming out from email communication from the, say, insurance companies of the world or uh, money market funds or uh, fixed rates, you know, there's an expectation that rates are going down. We're already starting to see some of the products in the fixed rate environment uh, come down. Uh, so again, time is, I think, important if you like where interest rates are. If you want to look at rebalancing your portfolio, uh, that's how you can do it. If you say, hey, Nolan, I don't know how much of my portfolio I should have in these higher fixed rate investments. Uh, that's an area where, again, having a conversation with a professional like us can help you determine you know, what could be the right asset allocation mix for going in uh, from 2024. Yeah, I would agree. I think, yeah, it definitely does offer some opportunity for retirees to get a pay raise. I mean, if you're looking at a year and a half ago getting 1%, now you can get 5% on a liquid savings account. I mean, that's a pretty big jump in income. And so that's also positive, I would think, too, Nolan, for the economy that retirees maybe that were previously hesitant to spend any money. Now maybe they feel more comfortable about spending the economy. In fact, we've seen in the uh, this year alone, one of the biggest contributors to economic growth has been Taylor Swift tickets. I mean, I'm joking, but uh, seriously, I mean, these experiences that retirees have kind of been pent up and not been able to go anywhere, they're starting to spend again. So I would think that's probably maybe a function of they just feel a little bit more comfortable and have some income coming in. Also, um, you know, the stock market, if the stock market is a leading indicator of economic um, strength and ability and growth, I would say, yeah, it's actually been a positive. I mean, it's um, definitely... Um, allowed us to provide more income, um, it controls inflation, uh, brought some borrowing costs up for you know millennials and Gen Zers that are out there looking for houses. It has slowed down the housing economy as well a bit, um, but it, you know, it, I think it generally stabilizes the economy, stabilizes the US dollar, 
puts a bigger demand on U.S. dollar-denominated investments. Um, and so I think overall it's a good thing for retirees, higher interest rates, not super high. I think we might have actually found this soft landing. I mean, if I had to c- declare victory, I don't think it's just yet, but I think you know the Fed is getting ready to pop some champagne here pretty soon because we've had very little, um, we've had some, some CPI come down. We've seen that from 3.7 to 3.2. We've had very low unemployment. We've seen uh, this, we've gotten this rip your face off uh, year end rally in the stock market. I mean, it's, things are going well. And so I think, yeah, higher interest rates right about here is kind of a good, a, a, a good place. The government can stop here. You know, I don't think we need to go much higher. Um, the other point too is income on annuities. We talk about, um, you know, the the uh, income annuities, the the lifetime income guarantees that people can get from insurance companies. The way you insure your home, you can insure your income, and those lifetime payouts, those income guarantees are based on whatever the prevailing interest rates are at the time. So year and a half ago, an income annuity may not have been a great option for an investor. But if you look at, you know, 12 months later, where interest rates are five times higher than they were, that might actually be a solution for people to start looking at again, um, which is what previously wasn't really a viable option, in my opinion. Higher interest rates right now, uh, probably not the best time to go ahead and, and, and take out a loan for that first house or you know uh, start a new credit card, things like that. But there are ways to make it work in your favor, especially if you are looking to, to generate income off of some of these strategies. Uh, but it's going to vary from person to person as far as what's going to work best for you and, and how to go about doing it. They'll be happy to have that conversation with you. Just give a call, 419-794-3030. That's the number. There's a tiny Georgia restaurant that says it is not afraid to charge a hefty fee for unruly children. One family with nine kids was caught off guard recently when the owner threatened them with a $50 surcharge. Some customers say, you know, they don't actually see a problem. Depends on how bad their kids are. Parents need to teach kids etiquette. They need to teach kids to behave, that there are other people in the world, and it's okay to have fun in the right place. Now, this fee is something that the restaurant actually implemented uh, during the pandemic. I don't know if they're going to ever change it. Speaking of fees, though, when uh, potential clients come into you and you do a portfolio analysis, do you have people that are caught off guard when, when your review reveals fees that they didn't expect to see in their portfolios? Yeah, I think a lot of times people are, quite frankly, shocked at the amount of fees that they're not aware of when they come in and we do kind of a, a portfolio analysis and we, we go through and we take a look at them. Um, to me, I mean, finding hidden fees is like literally putting money back in somebody's pocket is, you know, we're changing weather here in Northwest Ohio. <laughs> we're, you know, my wife's kind of taking the spring clothes out of the closet and putting her winter clothes in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever put a jacket on that you haven't put on in a year, but you reach in the pocket and there's 20 bucks in there. It's the best. That, it's yeah. the best feeling ever. So our job to me is like finding those $20 bills. Now you compound that by the size of an average retiree's portfolio. And you could talk, you know, hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, especially over the course of time that those hidden fees can erode a, a total portfolio. I am going to say this, though. I'm going to say the fact that the cheapest isn't always the best. You know, there's reasons to pay fees. You know, we don't work for free either. So it's important, I think, to know what you're paying for and know what you're getting in return. A couple of tips that I'll give you is make sure that you actually read the prospectus. You know, so when you invest in things like a mutual fund or a variable annuity, you have the ability where you can read a prospectus. And a lot of times I know it's challenging because you probably don't have that prospectus handy or you don't know where to get one. But if you go online and you Google, 
the product name and or the company that you work with, uh, you can get the prospectus pretty quickly. So you can type in the company name and the product. I just Googled one here as an example. Now this prospectus is 290 pages. So it does take a little bit of detective work. You know, when you go and you take a look at uh, the different fees and expenses, in this case, it's a variable annuity prospectus that I'm looking at. You've got to add up things like the sub-account fees, the mortality expense ratio, the admin, the, the writer cost. But when you go to the table of contents, you know, you should be able to identify the fee section. Uh, that's another big thing that when you come in with us and, you know, if you want to have a portfolio analysis, you know, we have the ability where we can slice and dice that information, get to it pretty quickly so you know kind of what your total cost is. Uh, but things uh, like variable annuities, things like mutual funds, things like managed portfolios, those type of things, you know, they have fees and expenses. So you want to get a, a good idea uh, what those fees and expenses are inside of the portfolio. You want to look at competitive expense ratios. So, you know, if you look at what the goals and objectives are of that strategy, is there a comparable strategy out there uh, that offers a, a, a similar to lower expense ratio? Uh, understanding things like sales charges. Some investments come up with upfront sales charges. Some investments come up with back-end sales charges. Uh, other things like mutual funds have something called 12B1 fees. Um, you might have advisory fees or investment management fees. Um, some companies trade transactions. I know with a lot of the major custodians that are out there today, some of them have uh, transaction-based fees or asset-based fees. Uh, some accounts even have maintenance fees, depending upon the size of the account. Uh, and so you kind of got to read this information, understand. And uh, bottom line, I'd say ask questions. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't hesitate to ask your financial advisor or the financial institution uh, to be very transparent to you that uh, you want to understand what all the fees are in a clear, easy to understand format. Uh, and what is associated with your investing, you know, a transparency is kind of important here uh, because it does add up in a, a lot. And we're, we're looking at inflation is high. You know, if you can cut some fees and expenses or increase predictable income, um, how much better off would you be moving forward? And so look at areas that are things that are not adding value to your portfolio to try to find and eliminate some of those hidden fees. Yeah, not only not adding value, but they're detracting from it. It's kind of like termites or bugs or something in the house. You know, they're hidden, but they're slowly eating away at the value of your home. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for you to identify them. It takes careful research. and then. But the biggest thing is that we can actually prevent them. You know, Nolan, um, when I first started, one of the things, one of the core sensibilities I think the retirement, guy ha retirement guys have as it pertains to fees is generally um, you want to make sure that your yield uh, or the income that you're getting above is greater than what you're paying in fees. Otherwise you start the year negative, you know, some things like that. The other uh, previous segment, we talked about making sure your bond fund, uh, the duration is less than the yield. Things that, you know, a, um, a professional would know, you know, you, you might see a termite or something, but you wouldn't know the extent of the problem until you have a professional look at it. And so that's kind of what we offer. And, and to me, fees is a very sensitive subject because of all the things in the market that you know we have we are subjected to fees and what we pay for things is actually one of the things that you can control and so a lot of the focus i think for our just average investors that are listening today is to know exactly where your source of expense is what you're paying and more importantly why you're paying it because like you said nolan i don't have a problem with paying fees 
as long as I know what I'm getting for it. Mm -hmm. It's a problem in the absence of a value what you're getting. And so in, in the uh, prospectus, I applaud you for that. That is uh, that is a if you can't sleep at night, pull that bad boy out because <laughs> it will knock you out. But there's other ways to get that information. And, and the advantage of living in, in this time is that the computer, even your phone, has a treasure trove of information about where to find hidden fees. Um, the most common is the expense ratio. Uh, that's the expense that you pay. Uh, for instance, a mutual fund money manager to be buying and selling the stocks. And so if you have a financial planner or a financial advisor and you're paying uh, a high expense ratio to have a mutual fund buy and sell the stocks, are you duplicating any of the effort? And if you are, um, why? Maybe is it a smaller you know, stock portfolio where we do really want multiple eyes taking a look at it? Or are we just picking the largest 30 stocks on the you know, in the world, do we need to have a, a really high expense ratio to do that? Those are some of the things to think about. There's also a section of fee, what we call 12B1 fee. Those are, you know, typically fees for, um, you know, the marketing and the commissions that are paid to the brokers that sell them to you. So there are some funds out there that offer no 12B1 fee. So those are some things that you want to look for. Um, the other point um, is transaction costs and turnover. This is something, this is a really subtle nuanced sort of uh, discovery of fee, but it's important nonetheless. Turnover deals with the tax implications of the portfolio. How often are the managers, is she buying or selling inside of that portfolio? Because if you own a mutual fund outside of the, IR, uh, the IRA wrapper, you know, the tax shelter, anything that gets bought and sold inside of the fund whether or not you actually sell any of the mutual fund yourself still gets passed on to you in the form of a capital gain. I've had it happen to uh, you know prospective clients in the past that come in and say, "Chaz, I got hit with the twenty thousand dollar you know capital gain. I didn't sell anything this mm. year. In fact, my portfolio was down ten percent this year, and it's just a function of that." those mutual funds have embedded gains. They may own a stock 20 years ago and they just happen to sell it this year and the market's down, you get passed on the capital gain, your proportionate share. So um, the, again, taxes, fees, there's rife opportunity um, to kind of embed some of those things in mutual funds. And if you don't know what you're looking for, it can be a serious problem that can significantly erode your assets and your um, your investments and your lifestyle over time. I mean, because like you said, Nolan, that's money in your pocket. You know, if it's 1% per year or even more, wouldn't it be better in your pocket and you control where it goes versus somebody else? And to reiterate what Nolan and Chaz both said, it, it, it comes to the question of value. You know, you can't really judge if something is of value if you don't know what you're paying. So having that fee analysis done, whether it is you going through the prospectus yourself or looking it up online or having the team at America's Retirement Headquarters uh, help dig through it with you and, you know, perhaps find ways where you can you can shift that or reallocate to pay less in fees, keep more for yourself, maybe even make uh, that money work harder for you. It all starts with a simple phone call to reach out. 419-794-3030. You can go to the website as well, ARHQ.com. A couple wrote to a columnist on the Market Watch recently asking a question about long-term care. She is 69, he's 65. They've got two pensions, two social securities, bring in total about $200,000 a year, and they've saved $1.5 million, which they don't actually touch. They looked at long-term care policies and found they top out at around $360,000. Since they have more than enough of that saved, uh, the question came up. Should they just say, you know, if long-term care happens, we'll just pay for it ourselves? 
guys, what are your thoughts on this? And is, is this a, a question you guys get asked often? Yeah, I, I would say it, it comes up if we're not getting asked a question. It's one that we're asking as part of an overall comprehensive review. Okay. And I, I think there's, there isn't one definitive answer, Chris, at least to me, whether or not a wealthy person needs long-term care insurance. I mean, I guess it's all relative, the word wealthy, because I've run some financial planning scenarios where, you know, when we look at a, uh, an average in-home or let's say, yeah, uh, an in-home uh, sort of care situation where maybe somebody's coming in and just kind of doing a couple of things around the house could range anywhere from 60000 to uh, assisted living, maybe 65 to 70, and then the full nursing home care, uh, anywhere from 100 to $110,000. That's in today's dollar. And so when you extrapolate those costs out at a rate of inflation, which is almost double, maybe even triple that of the regular CPI that we look at, you're sometimes looking at for you know one year in a long-term care facility, soup to nuts, probably close to two and so it I mean you you really and then if you look at that how long you're going to be there we add maybe one or two years maybe even three for the individual and then you have that's just one spouse and you add on to that the other spouse just for long-term care to really you know cover the cost you're looking at maybe a million maybe even two million for each spouse so it, to me, that's a lot of money. Even the most wealthy individuals probably still could use uh, a measure of some some comfort or some sort of coverage to cover some of these bills. Um, you know, especially looking at the aging demographic in the United States. You know, we'll just draw the attention back to the baby boomers, where they're affecting you know healthcare the way that they affected toys and homes and cars and everything like that. They're coming through this big demographic, and so there's going to be a demand for those services, and at a, a really high rate of inflation, plus with a high demand, you can see you know the the costs for long term care and 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 elder care just uh, growing exponentially in the next you know maybe I don't know ten or fifteen years, but yeah, I, I do think for some folks there is an opportunity to uh, self insure a bit. Um, but for some, for I would say for most of the people that we talk to, Chris, they're somewhere in the middle. You know, I had a, a, a gal that I talked to yesterday that said, you know what, I really don't care. I'm probably just going to live with one of my kids. And I was like, okay, that's a strategy. <laughs> I've had other people that say, you know what, under no circumstances are we going to burden our children. But we're we're healthy. We, you know, we, we take care of ourselves. We have pretty sufficient assets or something in between. And I know that, you know, through the retirement guys and some of our solutions here, we've got plenty. Nolan, I know you had a case recently that worked out really well. That was, you know, something similar to that. Yeah, you know, and I guess when I back up maybe a minute and I think about the question, do I need long-term care insurance if I'm wealthy? To me, I think it breaks into kind of two different categories um, because the phone calls that I'm getting is the one group of people is the people that already have long-term care insurance. Um, I can think of a couple of examples, you know, we'll call them Rob and Sarah, but age 92 and 91, you know, they already have it, uh, but the premiums keep going up. I would consider both of these, uh, you know, individuals also wealthy. The, the thing is, is yes, if they needed a nursing home or long-term care, do they have the financial resources to write checks out? Yes. Even though that is happening, they purchased this long-term care policy that they've had years ago, and at you know, 91 and 92, now's the time where they might need it. So actually keeping their long-term care policy uh, could make a lot of sense. 
I have some other people that I met with. We'll call them Rick and Mary. They were in their early 70s. You know, so what they did is they saw their parents needing long-term care. They also have had long-term care for quite some time. And they, like most traditional long-term care people, have got those premium notices increased. And so, you know, you know, the wife asked, she said, you know, if, if I pay this higher premium, is that, you know, now set in stone that that's what the premium is? And I said, no, you know, that's traditional long-term care insurance. You have to assume that it's likely to going to be more expensive when they raise the rate again in the future, you've got to build that into your plan. And so in their situation, you know, what it made sense is, you know, they could maybe drop down a little bit of the coverage. So instead of having lifetime benefits, they could reduce the benefits where it covers three or five years. They can do things like maybe change the uh, inflation factor. You know, there's some choices that they can make. So if you're listening and you're a wealthy individual and you have long-term care insurance, and you're worrying about getting these premium rate increases before you drop it, because that's what they want you to do, right? Before you do that irrevocable decision to get rid of what you already have, please, 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 let's have a second conversation and talk about doesn't make sense. Even wealthy people need to figure out what is a solution for this high out of control long-term care cost that's out there. Lots of options out there from you know your standard uh, black and white uh, long-term care policy to funding it out of pocket there's no real right or wrong answer across the board. Well, perhaps the, the one is, is to say, uh, it won't happen to me. I'm not going to need it because these days as people are living longer and longer, the, the chances of needing some form of assistance have gone up significantly and, and you don't want the, the what-ifs to become what-nows. Uh, having that conversation with the team at America's Retirement Headquarters, find out what's going to work best for you uh, as it fits into your retirement plan is as simple as reaching out. ARHQ.com, that's the website, always available there. You can also give them a call, 419 794 And we want to thank you, as we always do. Really do appreciate you joining us here on the show. I hope you found it insightful. The next step is, of course, putting a pen to paper for your particular circumstances. One last time, 419-794-3030. And as we wrap up, gentlemen, thank you for the time and want to leave you with the final word. Yeah, enjoy the last month of the year. Enjoy uh, the holidays and continue to have a great time. Just remember when you think retirement, think America's Retirement Headquarters. It's home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates. America's Retirement Headquarters is located at 1700 Woodlands Drive in Maumee, Ohio. You can reach them by calling 419-794-3030 or online at americasretirementheadquarters.com. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. Investments can fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Nolan Baker is not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstance. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products offered through Nolan Baker, Ohio Insurance License Number 27787.